0: Well, good morning, friends. Um, It is a delight to have sat right there and heard you guys sing. Uh, There's nothing like the sound of a church that sings. So you you bless my heart. You have filled me with your voices. And um, like Jordan said, uh, I'm I'm part of the pastoral staff at Lakeview, part of the preaching team over there. So I've got good news and bad news. Uh, The good news is uh, because uh, I'm part of the preaching team at Lakeview and biblically, theologically, I've been vetted uh, by the pastors there and here. So you're, you're not going to get any weird theology <laughs> or strange. I may be new to you, but hopefully you'll hear a sermon that resonates with what you've been so well fed over the years here. That's the good news. The bad news is I'm part of the preaching team at Lakeview Christian Center. And um, our introductions tend to be 20, 25 minutes long. So um, I will do my best to, to, you know, concise what I would have to say for you guys but it is a delight to, and a privilege to be given this uh, this opportunity to share with you guys and let let me go ahead and ask you to open your bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 1 Peter chapter 5 um a few weeks ago pastor keith um opened us up in in this sermon series kind of reflecting on what the book of 1 Peter would have for us this morning and what, what one of the privileges that but I have as a, as a pastor, uh, among many of the things that I do that are, are a delight and a joy to serve people is uh, the one-on-one encounters where, where I get to see front row seats, um, see what the, what the Lord is doing in people's lives, um, how faith is being stirred, how, how sin is being expunged, how hearts are beginning to grow softer, uh, minds are beginning to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Um, And and just those one-on-one conversations I'll have with people in in my office, it's it's just a delight. It's a privilege to hear the work of God in people's hearts. Um, And um, recently I had a conversation with a church member at the church that uh, she said something to me that that may characterize much of your experience over the past year. Uh, This has been a very unusual season for all of us, right? Uh, Whether it's COVID, whether it's politics, whether it's a storm, um, whether it's life issues, this past year and a half has has been a concentrated dose of of disillusionment, disorientation, suffering, uh, strangeness. It's just been a weird, weird season. And as I met with this sister, she said something to me that that's just stuck with me. She said, "Ronald, I love God. I trust God, but I'm struggling." I love God. I know who He is. I come near to Him. He is my delight and, my, and I depend on Him. I trust Him. There's no sense in my heart, Ronald, where I don't think He's, he's uh, uh, insufficient or, or He's somehow angry at me. I believe in His promises. Those two things are true, yet I am struggling. Would that characterize your experience in the past year and a half? Maybe this week. Um, has that been something that's been in your heart as you've wrestled in uh, your walk of faith over the past season? Um, well, th- this morning, I want to share some thoughts from this passage in First Peter chapter 5. The sermon is titled, Casting Cares on the God Who Cares. And hopefully this would serve you um, as you seek to walk closer to the Lord in whatever season you guys may be walking in personally. Let's read this together. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and then we'll pray. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would do only what you can, Father, and what we need, Lord. That you would open our eyes to see your truth, that you would soften our hearts to respond to it, Lord, and that you would change our lives as we walk in those realities. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start my timer to make sure that I am true to my word of <laughs> preaching a short sermon. All right. So um, th- there's, there's three, at least three things I would want to share with you this morning. Three, three ideas that I see from this passage that could help you as, as you're walking in a season that may be disorienting, um, may be disappointing Um, Maybe you've you've gotten to get along real close with discouragement. He's become a next door neighbor, and maybe he's moved in, and now he's a roommate. Uh, And and you've you've walked through discouragement for a while. Three things this passage would help in um, that would that you would want to be well served by taking with you. The first is know your identity. Know your identity. Three things you ought to know reading this passage that would help you through suffering and through a particular situation in your life is know your identity. You are a suffering saint. This is a really interesting letter. Um, Most of the letters in the New Testament have specific occasions for them, uh, whether it's Paul writing to the church in uh, Thessalonica or Colossae or Corinth, uh, Paul would write to these churches addressing specific needs. But this church, the Apostle Peter writes to a group of Christians who is scattered all over uh, a geographic area, and uh, the, the the one the one consistent theme in their experience as believers is they're struggling, they're suffering, uh, the world um, um, around them is persecuting them, and that the, their faith is being tested. And, uh, and you see this early on in First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, where um, the apostle writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, um, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory in the honor and the revelation in him. I included some other... Uh, scripture uh, verses in, in your outline, just all throughout this letter, that the theme of suffering is present. And so if you are in, 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 a, in, a, in a position, in, in, in a place now where, where things are hard, uh, you may want to nuzzle up next to 1 Peter. And read, this is written for Christians who are suffering, who are experiencing deep, deep, deep distress. Uh, but, but this letter primarily is written for believers in a, a, a setting of, of suffering. And scripture would make it clear that suffering is, is, is not to be unexpected for the Christian. That suffering is part of the Christian life. Much of what shocks us about the experience of suffering, um, much of what leads to discouragement in our lives when suffering shows up, is we've come to believe that the Christian life opens the door to nothing but blessings and closes the doors to everything that would not be a blessing. And that's a horrible misunderstanding of reality, but certain of theological ideas in Scripture. So this letter presents this, this idea pretty clearly. Listen, you are going to experience, don't be surprised, um, because after all, didn't Jesus himself promise uh, that we'd be persecuted and we, we, we would experience suffering? So suffering is a part of life. But, but a, a key idea that, that this passage le- leads us to is that while suffering is a part of life, and while suffering um, uh, speaks very loudly uh, uh, about the world, um, so suffering arrests our attention more than delight and joy do. Um, you know when you're having a good time, but but um, having a good time doesn't seem to to last as long as the experience of suffering. If if, if, I, if, I to, if I were to ask you, hey guys, enjoy something for an hour, intensely, and enjoy a moment of suffering for an hour, I bet you that this hour of suffering would have a much longer effect on you uh, than this hour of, of joy. So... Th- th- Suffering stays. It it, it just kind of lingers. It 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 leaves this smell on us. It, it's just this, this enduring quality that that uh, suffering puts on us. Uh, um, our our problem with it though as we engage with suffering is is we tend to we we tend to allow suffering to speak into our lives in such deep ways that we come to believe that it identifies us. Uh, it, that it identifies us. And so um, one of the reasons I think we don't pray or don't seek interaction with God in our suffering, um, one of the reasons I think that we seclude ourselves or pursue isolation or, or in our moment of need, rather than go to God, we, we kind of go away from God. Um, I think that our suffering would remind us and connect us with certain labels that may create a very powerful identity in us. Um, these labels would convince us that we are irredeemably broken. So suffering says things about us or it tries to say things about who we are and we come to believe it. And we come to believe it because what it says, part of what it says, is actually true. Um, The biblical language uh, used to describe this would be condemnation. For some reason, the experience of suffering reminds us of how bad we are, or how, or the bad things we've received, how we've suffered in categories that then we use to self-condemn ourselves. So the biblical language to describe that experience of I can't approach God in suffering because suffering sometimes is is um, surrounded by sin, so uh, personal sin, other um, um, other people's sin, and that 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 engagement, that, that that relationship of those two ideas lead us to 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 feel to condemn ourselves. Uh, the cultural language for this would be um, things like identity markers or, or labels. Now, again, these labels can be helpful. Uh, they, they would describe aspects of our suffering. But but again, the problem here is, and, and this is why this point is so important, that that we, we, we would come to believe in part of the facts of these labels. These labels describe an aspect of our reality, but they don't describe our identity fully. So things like uh, being victimized. Being abused, being an addict, being this, being that. Those labels, when, when they're cast on you, they, 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 they are surrounded by suffering. Uh, um, you you, you an, an abuse victim, an addict, is a person who is deeply and intimately aware with suffering. But the danger of associating your identity with that label is that label then will define every aspect of who you are. And I think this passage gives us Uh, 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 a a, a freeing category uh, about these labels. These labels can be helpful. They describe aspects of our suffering, but they will cast a damning and damaging particular identity of who we are and, more importantly, who we can and cannot be. So, interestingly, this letter, 1 Peter 1, begins with this wonderful label for all Christian sufferers and for these group of people. Peter calls them elect exiles. I love that. He writes to elect exiles, to people who are exiles, people who are uh, uh, abused and people who are suffering and people who are under the oppression of a society that hates them and is killing them and wants nothing to do when, um, uh, with them. That they are marginalized people, that they are people who are thought less than. There's racial issues against these people. So a lot of these labels, they could identify themselves under I'm that, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. But here's the scripture speaking to them, giving them another label saying you are, in fact, exiles. You are, in fact, a group of marginalized people that no one likes and uh, uh, that you should kind of be the weirdos over there on on the back corner. But you're also elect. You are elect exiles. You are a people chosen by God. Uh, so, So suffering will say things about who you are. Suffering will want to communicate ideas about your identity and your reality. It has a voice, and it will speak a voice to you. But friend, listen, do not forget what God has said about you. Do not forget what this letter is beginning to say about you. Suffering wants to identify you as someone. Well, God has already done that. And you have a choice as a believer when you come to Scripture. Whose voice are you going to listen to more? Now, don't, 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 don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that the reality of suffering is not something that you walk with and influences you, and it's a real aspect of who you are. I'm not suggesting that those things go away. What I am suggesting is that don't label yourself something other than God has labeled you. You are an elect, chosen son of God, daughter of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a member, a co heir of, of, of all the beauties of Christ, and you are a sufferer as well. You are an elect exile. So, wherever you are in your journey right now, however uh, 2020 has treated you, 2021 ha- ha- has treated you, uh, your suffering does not tell you who you are. Know your identity. God has said something about you and what he has said about you cannot and will not change. And it's interesting that the experience of suffering serves a grand purpose. It does describe some of our realities, but in the biblical understanding, suffering serves the purpose of reminding us who we are, whose we are, and more importantly, who we need. In his book, God's Grace in Your Suffering, David Powelson writes, it is unsettling to need help. Even when it ends up joyous and peaceful, dependency often doesn't feel very good in the process. You must cast your cares on God, who cares for you, because you are helpless in yourself. Your cares are bigger than you. You are under pressure. You are vulnerable and you know it. You are burdened about matters you cannot control or fix. Life is hard. You feel crushed, careworn, threatened. You come as a refugee, not boasting of assets, but bringing your cares. And your father cares for you. And God most freely and generously gives, blessing you with nothing less than his presence in the kingdom of life. Insoluble suffering, he writes, brings you in through the door of blessing. God does not turn away from the afflictions of the afflicted. So do not be afraid, little flock. He is giving you kingdom our discipleship materials don't often teach us much about this we learn how to have a quiet time we discover our spiritual gifts we study good doctrine we learn how to study the Bible and memorize scripture these are all good things but we don't necessarily learn how to need help God uses significant suffering to teach us to need him and when we need him we find him so don't don't waste your suffering. This is a shortcut into the very presence of God as you recognize that you are a one who needs, and specifically, you are the one who needs a creator. I think the second thing this text would teach us: um, know your identity would be number one. Number two would be know the process. Uh, there, there's a phrase in verse 10 of 1 Peter 5. Look at that verse with me. That first phrase, and after you have suffered a little while, and after you have suffered a little while, Um, you guys may be better at Bible reading than me, but, uh, and again, I'm from Honduras, so English is my second language. Um, What exactly does he mean when he says a little while, right? (laughs) Like, how long is that, you know? like so so you after you have suffered a little while, what does that mean? Does that mean a day, a week, a year, like a little while in relation to what to a long while what's a long while uh, d- d- don't you love how specific Peter is here with with giving us a timeline of what your suffering will be like right so if if, if you if you've got a, a, b- a bad diagnosis, maybe your job's up in the air, maybe your kids are are being whatever they are being, and you come to God and say, Lord, help me in this. And the Lord speaks to you and says, listen, you will suffer for a little while. And that's all he says. How helpful is that? It's like, so God, is it a week? Is it two weeks? Like how, how helpful is that? We are not told, right? We are not told. We're told a little while, but how little is a little while? So know the process. Part of the experience of suffering is disorienting for us because one, it, it's, it's terrible, uh, but it 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 calls on us to live in what I call the in-between of life, the in-between of life. So on one hand, you would have an encounter with God, a, a moment of of uh, not just coming to faith in him, but being awakened to his realities. Um, but specifically in our suffering, you would have a moment where, where a specific need shows up in your life. Uh, a, 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 a specific event in your life leads for your heart to recognize, God, I need you. So on, on on this end of the line is a specific thing that's happened that asking your heart to cry out to God, and then on this other end is is the resolution of that need, uh, um, uh, holding on to faith, God's promises to ha- to to meet that need, but but you see life doesn't happen here, right? Nor does it tend to happen here. Life is this in between. We recognize the moment of our need. We come to the Lord. And then we wait for that moment to be resolved. So that in-between of life, and that could be a week, it could be a year, it could be your entire life. A a, a little while could be the rest of your life. And we just don't know. And you see, part of our problem is we want to short-circuit the process. So this is very important. You have to know the process of suffering that involves an undetermined time It involves living in the in-between. And we we, we, we want to mess with God's calendar because we want things to end quicker at our time. Our problem, again, is that we want to shortcut this process because our natural inclination is to want to look towards something. We want details, don't we? We want uh, um, explanations. We have questions that we demand answers to. But friends, we know that this is folly. The the, searching for details searching for explanations leads to bitterness at least to disillusionment and it leads to anxiety which which we'll get to because one question formulates another question because we'll get an answer we didn't like or expect and so that makes us ask another thing and as more and more of our life is revealed the more we recognize in the process of suffering that we're not really in control and we don't like that. We don't like that so so. Know the process that this, after a little while, is not something that you and I determine. And by the way, this is a gift. It is a gift to not be giving a timeline in our suffering. There is something God is doing in blinding us to these details. Our blindness to when our suffering will end, our blindness to the details and explanations of our moments of of crisis of faith are a blessing of God on our lives. She's like, really? Really, preacher? Yes, they are. And here's why. Because in God's merciful providence, he intentionally blinds us to countless details of our lives in order to help us focus our eyes on specific details about him. Namely that we need him. That's what he's trying to do. And our problem again is we want to know, right? We want to know everything. But as many of you know, if you had any water damage with Hurricane Ida as, as I had a little bit of water damage, the more I knew, the more difficult things became, right? The more details of, okay, I need to call a mold guy and there's, it's just it's just it's overwhelming. God in his mercy has simplified the process of suffering. And here it is. You're on a need to know basis. And guess what? You don't need to know. But you do need to know one thing. That he is God and that you are not. That he is God and that he is with you. He is God and he cares for you. Brother and sister, please understand this. There is nothing you can do that will outdo God's moment of grace and mercy in your suffering. So release yourself from what you would want to do and give yourself over to his plan for your life. Now, what does this sound like? What does this sound like in the life of a a believer? Okay, conceptually, I get that, Ronald. It kind of makes sense, but... But if, if, if you're to come into my prayer closet and evaluate me and, and, and kind of, kind of you know, take notes of what prayers would sound like, how do I know I'm doing it right? Well, fortunately for us, in God's infinite mercy and wisdom, he gave us a whole bunch of prayers in the book of Psalms. And, and we have an example as in Psalm chapter 13, where David writes, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So living in the in-between sounds a certain way. It doesn't sound like pick yourself up by your boots. But by, by your bootstraps, it it, it doesn't sound like this, this naive kind of like 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 weird fake Christianity type thing where you don't tell people it hurts when it hurts. That's not what it sounds like. It sounds like the great King David asking the Lord, I am a man after your own heart. You've said that about me, but I don't know where you are. That's what it sounds like. It sounds isolated. It sounds dark. It sounds discouraging. It it It, it sounds like questions. But, but that's not only what it sounds like. And this, this is what I love about this song. It sounds like trust. It sounds like remembrance. It sounds like looking ahead, using what you know about God to be true as, as, as the wind that, get, that kind of moves you away from that disillusionment. It sounds like verse 5 of Psalm 13, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. It sounds like statements rather than questions. You see, faith begins where questions end. Part of the process of suffering involves questions. And that's natural. And I would say almost necessary. But for you to come to know God in moments of suffering, your faith begins to expand and grow when the questions you ask in the moment of suffering give way to what you know about God. Faith begins when questions end. Last thing this text would teach us is to know a God who cares. So know your identity. Wherever it is you are, know who you are. You are an elect exile. You are more than your suffering. You are not your suffering. You are a child chosen of the great sovereign King. Know the process. Process involves living in the in between. It's uncomfortable. It's it's disillusioning. But but it, it is where God has you and wants you. And finally, know the God who cares. But verse seven of of First Peter chapter five has been one of my favorite verses in scripture because of of what it communicates back to back with the reality of verse 6. So verse 6 says, "Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you." And so v- v- verse 6 lifts my eyes up to this magnificent majestic God, this powerful incomparable God of the universe who w- w- with a spoken word can create a star who, who who could lift mountains, who 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 mountains melt by the sound of his voice. I, I get a picture of a God who's beyond me, a, a, a God who I will I will want to back away because he's too big to behold. But then verse seven balances that with this beautiful picture, an invitation to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for you. I, I love that it doesn't say cast all your anxieties on it, on him because he's powerful enough to deal with them. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say cast all your anxieties on him because he's really, really good at, at, at strategizing. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say cast all your anxieties on him because there's endless provisions in him. Now, all those things are true. But cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's an intentional personal bent that God has towards us. I'll say that again. There's an intentional personal bent that God has towards us. He wants to meet with us in our moments of anxiety and care. And so Peter invites us to do something. He's inviting you. Hey, listen, cast all your anxieties at the Lord. Throw them all his way. Bundle them up and just start casting them his way and I think it, it probably w- w- would be helpful for us to understand the nature of anxiety what exactly is anxiety and uh, and it it'll, it'll help us come to a um, better understanding of of what's being said here now anxiety and fear are related this is a comprehensive uh, um, um, definition of these ideas but uh, anxiety and fear are related they're not the same thing but they are closely related Um and maybe comparing and contrasting um, will, will help bring some um, details to this. I wrote, fear is the response to what we can't control. So you're afraid you're going to lose your job. That may not be part of what you can or cannot control. So that's fear. How you respond to the not knowing of what you can't control is fear. Anxiety, on the other hand, is the response to losing control of what we think we should control. So the intricate web of systems you've created to make sure you don't lose your job isn't working. So that leads to a concentrated, more specific flavor of fear. Do you see the difference? Another example, fear is responding to an uncertain future. Fear is responding to an uncertain future. I don't know what's going to happen next week, man. I'm I'm scared. That's fear. Anxiety is responding to the uncertain future we've created. Fear is a lack of faith in God's sovereignty. Fear is a lack of faith in God's sovereignty. Anxiety is their heart's response to having attempted to be like our sovereign God. See, the main difference between fear and anxiety in this context would be That fear, you're responding to something outside of your control. Anxiety, you're responding to wanting to be the person in control. Anxiety in in the Christian life is this weird thing. If If you know your theology and you understand what it means for God to be sovereign, you understand that anxiety is an attack against that doctrine. Because anxiety is like... Anxiety is like when I was eight years old and I would put on one of my, 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 my dad's suit jackets. It didn't fit, right? It swallowed me. Why? Because I wasn't big enough for it. And that's anxiety. When we look at our, our, our life, when, when, when we project the ideas of what's going to happen in our life and then try to control all those ideas, we build these systems to make sure that the things that we're afraid of don't come near us. And we recognize we're incapable of it. And then and that just kind of begins to breathe this this a, a, a paranoia of doing it over and over and again. More complicated, more intricate, more involved in detailed systems to ensure that the things that will harm us will stay at a distance. Well, we're, we're, we're playing God with our lives. We're trying to control things we can't control. So this is why people who suffer with anxiety are, are so... Are so uh, um, Uh, uh, um, energetically afraid because things aren't just bad, they're catastrophically and microscopically bad. They they, they know to the nth degree how how bad things really are because they've seen themselves fail over and over and over and over again at trying to prevent that badness to come next to them. So, an anxious person is a person who wants to Kind of steal some of God's sovereign power into their lives. And we can't do that. Now, this is something Jesus said in Matthew 6, did He not? He said, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Know your pay grade, know your role. Cast your anxieties on him because he knows the future, because he's ordained the future, because he's spoken realities into your life that you should trust and be okay with. And listen, this isn't a minor thing. This isn't just some like psychological, you know, thing that you kind of do to to, to to get catharsis, right? The nature of anxiety is more than troublesome. It's actually deadly to our souls. Anxiety will kill your soul. Um one of the one of the the tragedies of of um Hurricane Ida, so the storm hit August 29th, right? Uh, I evacuated, I think, Saturday, came back, drove back uh, um, Thursday and, um, uh, you know, had nothing to do but, but, you know, watch the hour-long Jefferson Parish uh, uh, news conferences. And uh, every night, uh, just another case of someone dying from carbon monoxide poisoning. And at some point, um, the the, 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 the data is there were more deaths of people dying from carbon monoxide poisoning than the actual storm. It's just a terrible tragedy, um, and it didn't help that where I slept, my, the windows to my, uh, to my bedroom were next to uh, my neighbor's garage, and he was running a, a generator right outside, so I had to sleep in my living room a couple of nights. It's was like, oh, dude, this is not good. But um, carbon, mon- carbon, dioxide poison, carbon monoxide poison kills you without you knowing it, right? It invades your system. It lulls you to sleep. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it but you take it in and it kills you. Anxiety is something like that for the Christian. Because the more we're anxious about, again, the more we're trying to steal the categories of God's influence over our hearts, our minds, and our souls. We, we, we disconnect ourselves from God's provision in knowing who he is and is available for us and knowing what he could do, and then we become self-dependent. We say, I can figure out my future. I'm going to try and control my future. It's going to be up to me. And in that process, we not only disconnect ourselves from the author of life, but we connect ourselves to ourselves, which we were the authors in some sense of our own death. So it's not a good thing. It's a tragic thing. And, and, and what I love about this text as well is just... You know, casting all your anxieties on him. Um, the, the, The way this is written is you're invited to do this over and over and over and over again. There's anxieties that you are going to discover tomorrow that you haven't been aware of. Today or this past week, maybe 2020 was not a bad year for you. Maybe it was just inconvenient, but maybe 2022 is going to be a day filled with the birth of anxieties in your heart. So this this verse is a catch-all invitation for listen. Your pattern as a believer should be one of continually casting your anxieties on to God, and and, and here is a helpful corrective to, to 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 many of us that would believe that the Christian faith would, is a faith that that just has this constant crescendo curve, this constant growth curve of 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 uh, day after day after day of celebration and victory. Here's a helpful corrective against that. Repeatedly crying out to God is not a sign of weakness. Repeatedly crying out to God is a sign of faith. We see this modeled so beautifully in the Psalms. Again, just go to the Psalms. Psalm 4-1, answer me when I call, O God. Psalm 5-1, give ears to my word, O Lord. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Psalm 17-1, O Lord, attend to my cry. Psalm 22, O God, I cry by day and by night. Psalm 142-1, with my voice I cry aloud to God. And more and more and more. By the way, the same guy read all those Psalms, David. So constantly turning for help is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of faith. And it is a sign that points us to what the Lord is going to do in our lives. This is how verse 10 in this passage finishes. And after you have suffered a little while, however long that is, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm strengthen and establish you. Peter is inviting you to something better than the idea that listen just buck up hold on suffering's going to end and then you'll be done with it. No. Peter's inviting you to the idea that in the midst of your suffering there are promises of God available to you. But there is something in and through your suffering that involves restoration. Maybe you've lost something in 2021. Maybe something has become irredeemable in your life. There's a promise of the restoration of an aspect of your faith. Confirmation. Maybe you've questioned yourself. Maybe you've questioned your faith. Maybe, maybe things have shaken around you where, where you, you're left unsettled. There's a confirmation of God's speaking into categories of your life. You are His and He is your forever. Strengthening. Strengthening. Maybe you've discovered weaknesses. Maybe 2021 was a, was a year of, of you came face-to-face with a bunch of weaknesses that maybe everyone knew about you. Uh, but, um, you know, things were so busy that people could notice those things. But once things kind of settled down, your weaknesses just took on a new strength. And, 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 and God promises strength and an establishment. So, friends, know your identity. Know who you are. You are an elect Exile. You are one who's been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Know the process. The process is undetermined by you, not by him. And know the God who cares. Accept the invitation of a God who desires for you to cast your anxieties on him. Not as a rebuke, but as someone who loves you and would come near to you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would do through your spirit what no man behind this pulpit can do, Lord. Let us take your word, Lord, and make it live up to your promise that it would not return void, Father. We pray for your presence in our lives, O Lord. We pray for your continued work and and, uh, um, ministry here at CCC, O Lord. Father, we pray for uh, an increase of faith, O Lord, among this uh, wonderful group group of brothers and sisters oh Lord we pray for your nearness oh Lord we pray for the strength Lord for for a number of different seasons of suffering that maybe many of us would be experiencing Lord we, we pray oh Lord for the growth of an appetite for you father there are things that keep us from coming to you lord there are our our uh just just uh, obstacles in the way uh, um Obstacles of our own design, obstacles of our own making, Lord. Obstacles of of external influences. Lord, would, would you would you clear the road, Father? Would you make it clear how to get to you quickly, Father? And Father, would you give us that urge to come and throw ourselves at you, O oh Lord, as we cast our anxieties in you as well? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ronald. Church, can we thank him for serving us so well this morning? Amen. Amen. Grateful for you, man. As always, we want to end with uh, reciting the Great Commission. And just as a reminder from the word this morning, the God who calls us to go is the God who goes before us and the God who is with us in the midst of us. So let's re- recite this. Go, therefore, the disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I've commanded you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Enjoy your Sunday.